Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. If you like listening to beautiful voices like ours instead of reading words, then head on over to Audible where you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash paratruth, where you can choose from over 180,000 titles for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? Paratruthers, welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Tonight we got an awesome show for you. It's one you're not going to want to miss. So let's get going. There are tales of hauntings scattered throughout history. And while most of us would run from such hauntings, some of us actually collect it. Archive of the Afterlife, the National Museum of the Paranormal, has appeared on Destination America, and tonight we have the privilege to speak with the owner of the museum, Steve Hummel. Welcome to the annual Paratruth Radio Halloween Special. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, for those of you listening at Paranormal UK Radio Network, TMV Cafe, Fringe Radio Network, or ParatruthRadio.com, let's get ready to expose some lies. Steve, welcome to Paratruth Radio. How are you doing this evening? Good. How are you doing? Very, very good. Eric, how are you doing? I am tired, to be honest. So uh, we wanted to get you on. Uh, You had requested to come on about your paranormal museum. But first, before we get into that, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you interested in the paranormal? Okay. Well, um, of course, you have the whole, you know, a lot of it's cliche what you hear from a lot of people. And, you know, you would hear and see things when you're at a younger age. I always had an interest in the paranormal at a younger age. Uh, but it didn't really, didn't really start coming to fruition until I started working at the uh, former West Virginia State Penitentiary as a historical and paranormal tour guide. And that's been about 10 years ago. I've been working there for about 10 years now. And then you end up meeting a lot of uh, like-minded people, people with the same, well, not same, but similar experiences and different things like that. And the, the same curiosity, you know, curiosity about the, uh, uh, the supernatural, the paranormal, whatever, you know, a person wants to refer it as. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much how it started. And, um, and since then, uh, I've uh, kind of joined up with my, my best friends, uh, Ryan Zackle, Dave Gear, and Jason McKinney. We do our own... Uh, Paranormal YouTube channel um, called Paranormal Quest. Um, we've been doing that for about six and a half, seven years. 
you know, out of the 10 years I've been really into, really into the uh, paranormal. So, uh, it's getting to be, it's pretty much a passion now. And then about the November 2011 when I, uh, uh, founded and opened the, uh, the archive of the afterlife, the National Museum of the Paranormal that I have now. So it's, it's kind of <laughs> taken over my life pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, it, it, people outside of the paranormal community, you know, most people, I think, would run away from the paranormal. But you're one of those few who actually seem to collect the paranormal. I mean, at what point did you decide, hey, I'm going to start collecting these things and archive them for people to see? Well, I've, I've always collected this and that um, from collecting movies. Uh, I'm a big collector and uh mainly World War II, but anything, anything military I have an interest in. So I've always kind of been a pack rat. But <laughs> <laughs> um, it started one time, uh, my friends, at the time it was just Dave, uh, Ryan, and I, we went to go to Gettysburg. And um, we were going to uh, do a little paranormal event and visit the, uh, at the time it was, there was a museum there, a paranormal museum called the International Museum of Spiritual Investigation. And it's kind of a long title, but yeah. <laughs> and we get to meet um, Alexandra Holzer. She's doing a little event there and did a future brief with her. And, you know, and really we get to meet some, some newer faces that are in the paranormal field and whatnot. And, um, and as I went around the museum, I'm like, this is really interesting. And then had some nice readouts some pictures. They had like a 1950s Ouija board. They didn't have a lot of haunted items. It was more photographs and information and stuff and they had a little gift shop area of course and then at the time i had already had a fitness center a gym and uh had a building next to it that i opened up a little diner and had a poker room which i wasn't using i didn't know what i wanted to use it for and i thought well i could uh do a little twist on uh collecting paranormal items and ghost stories and stuff like that so I took the uh, the poker room and made it a complimentary museum at the time. But since then, I've sold both buildings. I don't have the businesses anymore, and I relocated my museum because the collection was pretty much busting at the scenes where it was at and uh, moved it to the Sanford Community Center, which was formerly the Sanford Elementary School. And uh, in a roundabout way, it's interesting because I went through all six grades of grade school there. <laughs> wow. So I, I rent a room out there now to the the school is very, very haunted. It's very active. Um, you've heard, of course, like Shepherdstown being considered one of the most haunted cities and or towns in the country. Well, I would uh, venture out to say Moundsville would rival it. Um, Moundsville, originally, where uh, where I live and the museum's at now, um, originally was home to six to eight burial mounds that all but one were pretty much decimated. And then, of course, we also have the former Whiskey Estate Penitentiary, pretty much right smack dab in the middle of it, which was cranked in the top five most violent institutions in the nation. So, it's, you know, visiting that museum, you know, kind of, I think, was the uh, main um, igniter for me wanting to do uh, a paranormal museum. Okay. Now, is yeah. that what inspired you to do the the YouTube channel, or was it you guys no, had we, this idea we were, to do that? 
we were already doing the YouTube. We were already oh, investigating okay. together and doing the YouTube channel. That's on, that was an entirely separate uh, venture, you know. I just started collecting because I had the diner going on at the time and one of the complimentary museum. And so I was going to do a, a military exhibit and stuff like that, which it got really, it was really expensive stuff. Well, yeah. I still have a small military exhibit in the museum, but it's the sole purpose is collecting haunted items, cursed items, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. I have two embalming tables, a, a doll casket, child's casket, different things like that. So. That's interesting. Um, one thing that I wanted to ask you about right off the bat, one of the the uh, artifacts is Annie, because actually my mom grew up in Wheeling, West Virginia, and you found her oh, in a cool. tea shop there. So uh, it's it on the website it says that she's one of the most active artifacts in your museum. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Annie. Um... I knew of the pic. I, I knew of the picture before I had the museum, and it was at this antique from the market up by the fish market in Wheeling. It's a, that's another historical little location there. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'd always walk past this picture, and it was captivating. It was like the eyes were piercing. You know that type of energy was just unavoidable. And um, I always liked the picture. I always would find myself while visiting there just completely enthralled by it, just like staring, you know, at her and just try to study the picture. And it wasn't until I opened the museum that I thought, well, I want that picture in the museum because I want to see if people sense what I did from it. Um, I'm an empath, you know, it's something that just kind of inherently happens for me when I go to, especially antique places and different things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went up to get it, and lo and behold, that whole vendor was gone. The whole booth was empty, and I was really down about it because I really, really wanted that picture. So a few visits later up there at the uh, store, um, I was up there buying or paying off on a military item. I can't really recall what it was at the time. And then I was always walking around to check out the vendors, and I could see from a, a distance the vendor was still empty. But as I walked up to go past it, the next vendor, and I think to my right, it was entirely empty except for one thing, and that was the picture of her that wasn't there before. It was leaning against the wall with nothing, absolutely nothing around it. So I took it that it was, you know, meant to happen for me to see it that day. So I, I purchased her that day, I purchased the portrait, and that was, I actually put it down December 12, 2011. Okay. No, no, no. It was December 12, 2015 is when I actually found out where she was buried. Oh, I got her okay. in 2011. I can't remember exactly which date. Okay. And um, and since then, from that point that I found her up until now, multiple people have mixed vibes off of her. Some feel threatened. Some feel okay. Um, I think, you know, just, you know, the spirits, whatever you want to, you know, however people identify them. They're like us. You can meet someone for the first time and know that you're going to trust that person. You're going to be best friends. You can meet someone for the first time. You're thinking, nah, I would never trust you with my life. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I definitely think that carries over into on the other side of the veil. Um, but we've also recorded her um, through Spirit Box, through uh, EVP. Uh, we've actually recorded her saying her name crystal clear. And we weren't even really addressing her at the time. My friends Kevin and Nicole were there. They bought some neat equipment. 
we were just, I was just showing them how to use their just kind of getting into, you know, investigating. And I had asked if anyone was in here, and there was a young girl you hear say hello, and a really, really feminine, light voice. And then I asked again, was anyone in here? And we were in the vicinity of the picture, but not even looking at it. And here, Annie, just, just quickly like that. And then Paranormal Quest, uh, my friends and I decided to investigate the old location at one time. And we do what we call an abandonment technique. And uh, what we do is we leave the recorders running, the cameras running, the proximity meters running, whatever. And then we lock up and leave. And no one gets in, no one gets out until we come back about 40 minutes to an hour later. And during that uh, experiment we did, um, she actually activated a REM pod and hit two to three lights out of four. And it was directly right in front of her portrait. So it was, it was a very moving experience because, um, you know, for me, it's kind of like family. You know what I mean? At this mm-hmm. point, you know, she's been with the museum kind of with me in a way, you know, since the beginning. So the first time I heard her voice, I mean, it was really, really crazy. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, pretty awesome. When the, and you actually talked about all this activity and people feeling stuff and things that you've caught, but do you ever have people come to the museum who want to bring in their EMF detectors or something and try to see if they could find something or see if anything's given off the energy at a particular time? Yeah, I, I encourage that. We actually, um, part of the, before I moved the museum, I was already on the, uh, board of directors with the community center. I'm actually the president for this year. Um, we, I mentioned doing overnight investigations as a way to help raise, you know, raise a little bit of money to help support the center. So we've already had overnight investigations started. And we, I mean, we took like 150 bucks from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. You know what I mean? Okay. And we actually, once I moved the museum there, they allowed me to add $25 on to it. So when I do the overnight, I open the museum up too. But it, during the day, people can bring in whatever, you know, they could bring in some meters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, couldn't set up DVR systems because there's other people coming in from the public <laughs> right. to investigate. Yeah, but we've, we've had uh, people come in to investigate, and nearly everybody, either the museum and the school, or either one or the other, has always gotten something. Um one of my friend JJ, his, uh, this was way back before the museum was even there. They, it was actually on my ghost story. Um, of course, when my museum was at the old location, uh, they interviewed me and used some of my, uh, trigger objects with the ghost asylum method at the penitentiary. And then the first year I opened the museum, we made fun face at the Wall Street. So we were pretty pumped about it. All right. Well, Tell us a little bit about what was it like having Ghost Asylum there? Um, well, I, I, they were probably some of the most down to earth, approachable people out of, you know, the TV personalities that I've met. Okay. You know, I, I did question the whole catching a ghost thing, but I get it, producers gotta make money. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's really no argument around that. They were actually, they got into a, I don't know. It's, I couldn't tell how many w- were involved with this because I didn't step outside. Um, but I know Porter and Doogie um, got well, some of the ones that got into an argument with the producer because they wanted to stay longer, two degrees with me, and see some of the stuff I had in the museum. And the producer wanted to move on. And, so, right. We can't have to show it out. So we'll stay here for 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in this. <laughs> right, yeah. 
I just appreciate you, you know, you know, you using my place and using the tanks and anything I can do to help. So, right. Right. They were, I think they were very, very nice people. Well, now, <clears throat> with these possessions that you have uh, and these objects, uh, you know, people, they tend to have trouble discerning or determining whether an object is actually possessed or the spirit is simply attached. And there is a difference. Uh, is there any way that you go about trying to figure that out or is it just kind of you just kind of let it go and, hey, this item is just paranormal and leave it at that? Um. I actually have a section. I was going to start. I was going to do that from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now I have pretty much down into my my eight pound uh, universe. <laughs> I have um, pretty much memorized where everything came from, what the story behind it is. But I found out earlier on in collecting it. If you have, and family items do have a history printed out and presented because they come from important places. Um, but I found out that if you imply things, sometimes I think that doesn't help people when they're not really in tune mm-hmm. um, with the paranormal. I think if you, I mean, obviously there's always the the chance of implying something and they unconsciously adopt that in, into their, you know, their view of uh, of, of the object. So I, I think for me, I have a, a sign up in one part of the museum that says abnormal artifacts. And I leave it up to that person to kind of vibe with with each particular item that they wish to. Mm-hmm. And I, I always I say at the end of the uh, little read, uh, you know, let, let us know what you think, what you feel. So, and that I think allows it to be a little bit more open for uh, involvement, you know, between the artifact okay. and the individual. But I right. purposely I don't keep anything negative. If anything's negative, it gets flushed anyway. Okay. I mean, that was pretty much the college that I took, I went into church ministries, I'm ordained, so I don't really, I don't purposely mess around with anything negative. I don't put up with it, I don't care for it, so. Okay. Alright. So out of all of the artifacts that you've collected, what are some of your favorites? Well, of course, Annie. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, last year on, believe it or not, on eBay, um, and it's funny because my co-workers and I would always jerk around that this item would actually pop up on eBay one day. And I was working in night tour when I found it on eBay. And uh, it was actually the once lost um, lost execution cap to the electric chair from the penitentiary. So I do have that. That's connected to nine uh, nine executions. Wow. And we've actually, uh, my good friend of mine, Dave Spinks, uh, they have uh, Society of the Supernatural. He had Dave Weatherly, Sean Austin. Um he came up early to one of the events I did uh, this past summer, and we all made contact with two of the nine inmates that were executed in um, in Old Sparky. The funny, the interesting thing is, with one of them, uh, Mike Ingram, he was executed for the murder of a adult female named Zenobia and her seven year old little girl named Melba Louise. While we're listening to the um, spirit box go on, and it was recorded, of course. Um, at certain points, you could hear a young, faint female voice saying, Elba, Mel, like, it sounded like Melba, but you couldn't quite, it wasn't class A, it'd be like class A, B, B, or C, or whatever, in that, in that area. But for some odd reason, you know, it was interesting, we were, we believe we were making contact with the seven-year-old victim through, through that whole ordeal. 
<laughs> and that part of the wow. investigation. Pretty amazing. Wow. Well, I, I know just to just ask, you know, what are your favorites? But what is the most unlikely or even weird possession that you have there? Okay. Um, of course, the cap and ear top. Um, I'd say I have a Dr. Seuss flipbook that is actually a artifact that has a two-year-old little girl named Matira attached to it. And it's a okay. very, very sad case. It was a quadruple homicide just across the river here in St. Clairsville, Ohio, back in 2011. Uh, there was a Pakistani family. Um, I believe both were doctors. I know the, the wife was a doctor. And she wanted a divorce. And of course, in that, you know, from what I've gathered in that, you know, culture, that's, you know, big no-no. Right. And um, he was arrested at JFK Airport. He had his two sons. They all three had passports to Pakistan. And this was after his wife, her dad, which had come down from Canada uh, for moral support, and the wife, um, her name was Lubania. Yeah, Lubania. And, there, and um, his wife's sister and the sister's two-year-old, all four were uh, were found murdered in the house with their throat cut. Wow. So wow. it was a pretty big case. Now, my friend, um, oh, Shane Berge, he moved to Texas a couple of years ago. Uh, he and I were very good friends. Both of us were, you know, diehard paranormal researchers. And he had the case where this lady had, she could hear, um, it sounded like a kid giggling. He felt like she was being watched at her house a lot. And so he did a couple preliminary investigations at this client's house. And he said they pinpointed it to this book. Because he asked her, where'd you get the book? He said, a yard sale. He asked her, where was the yard sale? She told him the address. He researched it, and it was um, the same address that the homicide took place in. <laughs> so there's actually a little bit of stains on the front cover of the book, too. We're not, we're, I've had my friend uh, Gary, who worked with the fire department, he came in, and we used uh, their, I lost the name of the type of light they used. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, the light they use when they're looking for, for blood splatter and stuff like okay. that. I, yeah, I, I know it's a simple name. I just can't think of it. Is it a uh, UV light, possibly? Th- thank you. Yeah, yeah, UV light. Thank you. I knew it was <laughs> no simple. <problem. laughs> it's been a long day. Yeah. Um, he brought that in from the fire department and usually confirmed that it actually was blood stains on the cover of the book. So, wow. Which is, which is interesting. This is interesting. Now, uh, a friend of mine is a really uh, intense psychic star cluster. And he said from her sensing is that Annie actually watches over her now, this year, the little girl. So I we can't confirm that. You know, there's nothing to support that necessarily. But from her from her sensory perception, that she feels that Annie kind of watches over the Sierra. So, and from the vibe I get from Annie, that would be appropriate because Annie's a very um, she's very really particular, but she's a very, very compassionate um, type of energy. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that that would be one weird object. I do have a 1930s embalming table um, and the matching pump that came with it from a funeral home just south of us in New Martinsville, West Virginia, the old Iron Funeral Home, which my great grandfather was actually <laughs> prepared on that. Which it didn't really dawn on me until I got it. I'm like, no, oh, I wonder why I kind of 
kind of felt pulled to it, you know, <laughs> with the family attachment with that. So right, yeah. it was being used as a haunted house prop in someone's front yard, which I thought was, which really, pardon me, really pissed me off. I think you know, you get an object like that that service many many people. You know, there's got to be some dignity, you know, to be to be a reverence, if you will, to be taken. You know, when when owning an item like that, right. Know? So, yeah, that kind of fired me up. <laughs> I I agree with you. A historical item. I mean, it would be one thing if it was a replica or something, but a historical item. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, it, it almost feels disrespectful to to have that going on when so many people probably laid on that table uh, after they passed. So one thing that I wanted to bring up, since you were talking about Annie, a lot of people would associate. Uh, child spirits with demonic activity. Have you ever had any type of negative impact from Annie at all? Mm, I haven't, no. Now, a lot of people say they feel maybe threatened was the wrong word. I've had a lot of people say they feel like they're being watched carefully in a sense. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I've had a few friends of mine and, you know, Wendy and Barb and this is different times. They would come and help me dust, help me straighten up when we were getting the po- that old poker room. We call it the blue room. And it was not ready for the museum. But they always felt like they were unwelcome, like, but not in a demonic way. So I, I think that Andy was just being particular, particularly watching over me per se. So at one point I said, Andy, you know, I do have friends that are, are, are ladies, you're just going to have to trust me that everything's okay. And since then, it wasn't as bad. Yeah. Okay. But nothing, you know, um, at the old location, we did have a couple, we had uh, a couple issues with a, uh, what I believe was a demonic entity, and I took care of it accordingly. So. Okay. Well, now, in regards to some of these entities, uh, well, in this case, you had one demonic entity, but do people ever fear or have you ever maybe experienced uh, any of these spirits perhaps leave the object that they're attached to and follow somebody else home or tend to bring in uh, open doorways to, to other spirits that may be haunting the museum itself or following people home? Um, I have not had that happen. I've not heard that happen to other people. Okay. Now, I have been kind of a weird experience, so someone might know the correct terminology for it. Um, I, w- I remember two individual times, separate times. I was sleeping uh, in my bed, which is very close up against the wall. Mm-hmm. And I remember sleeping. I remember seeing myself sleeping and looking across my body at the door to my bedroom. So it was kind of out of body in a sense. Um, I don't know how, I don't know why. I mean, maybe the after projection is possible. I'm sure some people believe that it is 100% there. You know, I'm not doubting that either way. Right. Um, but both times I saw, and I knew it was Andy. They looked, they looked just like her. She was in a, like a nice casual looking dress from the, probably the 1920s, 1920s, 30s period, something like that. Cause she looked younger. She died in 1966. She was born in 1886. So she, the door opens to my room. She comes walking in, but it's obviously like she's floating, right? In a mm-hmm. sense. 
and she sits on the side of my bed. Now, the second time this happened, she sits on the side of my bed, verbatim, same dress and everything. And then as she lays down beside me on the bed, I wake up. So I, I have had that happen. Um, now, this happened, but it happened from the prison, not from uh, my museum. Um, I did have a couple times where something, I don't know, it, it didn't happen to me there, but it involved the prison. And it only happened when I left for work. And that's back when I was married. And so it happened to what is now, to who is now my ex-wife. And she hear me leave. And we had a little uh, house towards the back of the lot, towards our alley. Or not, well, not now, towards the alley uh, that we lived in. She hear me leave. And she says, about 20 minutes later, I would hear what sounded like you walk up the steps through the kitchen and into the living room. And I yelled out, Fever, you there? No one answered. I went out and looked. No one's in there. But the odd thing was, and the fan was not on, the air was not on, the ceiling fan was just barely spinning like it could have stopped at any time, but it would just kept slowly, slowly, slowly turning until she stopped it and went back to bed. The second time this happened, which was about a month apart, same thing happened. She said, I heard something about your weight, walk up the steps in the living or the, in the kitchen, through the kitchen to the living room, but this time it walked into the hallway and came into our bedroom. And I could hear the weight differential of, like, leg to leg, you know, transferring back and forth on the floorboards. She said, I was so terrified I could barely even pray for protection. Hmm. And that was pretty much the call that brought the camels back because I, um, I just, I, I can't quit researching the, the paranormal. There's too many questions. And my curiosity is too fight to, to give that up. And that's what she wanted to happen ultimately. And that's, that pretty much ended ended my uh, well my second marriage unfortunately but yes that is unfortunate <laughs> yeah. all right so one thing that you had said a little bit earlier is if you feel that a a object is negative or has a negative attachment to it you you don't take it what uh, type no, of no no object... I, I do take it but I'll bless it oh okay so what are some of the ones that you had a, a negative feeling about in uh, in the museum. Okay, well, I have a uh, really interesting Hindu-looking statue that's about four feet tall, and that came from a local anonymous case, if you will, here in town. Uh, people contacted me and said they felt really, really... Well, my friend uh, Danny was reporting that there's demonic activity. So that's kind of how the... And that's kind of the question. A lot of people do say that, and very, very rarely is, is that the case. And... I walked into the the house, small little house, two bedrooms in the back of the house, a little loft, uh, at very static, which was another bedroom upstairs. And as I walked in, and I could see these people collect everything, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of old items and things like that. It's like, oh, great, this is just going to be just ideal for uh, at least a residual haunting, uh, let alone something potentially more. As I walked through it, you know, being an empath and being very, very... Um, Spirit-minded, and spiritually-minded, but I say it's irrational, of course. I picked up with nothing demonic whatsoever, nothing to that degree. So I walked through the house and picked up the bedrooms where they would see shadows going from one bedroom to the other in the hallway. I didn't feel anything whatsoever. As I walked up the steps to the lost bedroom in the attic area, if you will, there was this 
the statue that I just mentioned was literally right by you on the little ledge as you walk up the steps to the point where I actually kind of shift to my right a little bit one foot. You know, like the energy really projected itself from this item. And I said, uh, right now, sir, I don't think you have anything demonic, but this, this item right here definitely is resonating a, an offensive type of um, energy. Okay. He goes, well, what do you want me to do? And I said, well, what we can do is I can put it in the museum for a while and, you know, click that. You see if it works and dies down the energy. Because apparently the dad, which I didn't find this, find this out until a few weeks later when I talked to one of the, uh, uh, the kids. Apparently the dad was getting very, very bitter, very, very irate and just would laugh out a lot at people in the, of the household. And, and I removed the item, took it to the museum and just put it there. Since then they've never asked for it back. And after I talked to this, uh, one of his daughters, I believe, he said her dad has done a complete 180 and is back to himself again where he's very, very kind, very, very nice, you know, good natured. Um, another item that I've had was anonymously donated by, uh, a guy in Glendale, which just a little suburb of Moundsville here. And he was going to college down around Huntington, West Virginia. More than likely Marshall, because that's the big university down there. And he and a friend were going urbexing, which of course is a glorified word for trespassing, but we don't judge people. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, through this old Morse Memorial School for Crippled Children. Now, unfortunately, they're going to be tearing it down because people are idiots. They can't take care of historical locations. And, um, they were going down the hallway and they said they went into, she went into this one room. Nothing in there, of course, of course, dusty, dirty and stuff like that. But this one Bible was laying in the middle of the floor open. He said, from a distance, I could see there was an angel figurine sitting on top of the table. Sometimes he said, as I walked closer to it, I noticed that it was open to page 666. And on page 667, at the very top of the page, you can see actual scorch marks where something was on fire that ha- actually kind of just brings the pages a little bit at the top of the page. No- nothing drastic. He said, my friend took the angel figurine and I took the Bible. It's souvenirs. And uh, he said, when I got home from school one break, I went through my airbagging backpack and took the Bible out and put it on top of the uh, mantle. He said, and from that point, within the next three days of, of me doing that, the family cat died. The family dog got very, very sick, almost died. And his mother got very, very sick. Hmm. In addition to that, he heard his name being whispered throughout the house at random times. And on the third day, he was letting his dog out to use the restroom. And the dog ran to a, off to the right in the backyard to an area where he couldn't see from the back at court. And he heard the dog growling and barking, like protective wise. So as the as he went to go look to see what his dog was barking at, the dog literally had ran past him yelping to go back into the house. As he went around and looked at the corner of the house, he said there were three, if not four, human-shaped shadow figures standing in his yard. He said, I ran back into the house, closed and locked the door, and I went to a portion of the house where I could look out of a window down at that area uh, from a, you know, a safe area at where these images were standing so they were not there. There weren't even any, things, any footprints um, in the grass. 
Hmm. And that's when he contacted me the next day and asked me if I would take it and keep, you know, keep his name anonymous. I had wrote it down, but I forgot, <laughs> forgot what I did with that paper that had his actual name on it. So what I did is I took the Bible, and I'll tell you what, this is the one, one of the very few items I've actually held in my hand and had my stomach start to turn. It takes a lot to get me queasy. I'm like, I have a, I'm Irish, I have a cast iron stomach, you know. And, <laughs> you know, and I actually felt the gears start turning. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll deal with this later because I was listening to this story so I can actually document, you know, what has happened. But I, I blessed it and I put one of my crosses I had on top of the paper and haven't had an issue with it since. So. Hmm. Hey, hey there. there, I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. All right, Steve. Well, we are getting close to the end of the show, so I wanted to give you a chance to tell everybody where they can find you, find the museum, all that great stuff. All right. Well, it's uh, called Archive of the Afterlife, the National Museum of the Paranormal. Uh, you can find it on Facebook, TripAdvisor. Um, um, I'm, you know, co-producer of Paranormal Quest on YouTube. That you can check that out. Um, we take history and take the mystery and blend it all into one. And we like to be entertaining yet informal with that. So definitely check that out. I have an event October 28th from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. here at the Stanford Community Center. We'll have vendors, uh, speakers, um, live music by my uh, good buddy, Matt Van Fossen. He's been on stage with Tim McGraw, Brooks and Dunn. Uh, I'll be unveiling uh, no less than five brand-new artifacts from Scotland uh, from a demonologist named Jason Love. So it's only five bucks at the door for the entire event. So if you want to do that, just hit me up on Facebook. I'm easy to find. Awesome. Awesome. So we are going to let you go, but I want you to stay on the line. So thank you so much for coming on and uh, taking time out of your day to talk to us. And uh, folks, we will be right back with Paratruth Radio after this break. Hey, Parafans. Do I have a deal for you? The people over at Loot Crate are giving our listeners a 10% savings on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Loot Crate is this awesome monthly mystery smorgasbord of a package that you get stuffed with different things from different genres, such as Zelda, Fallout, Harry Potter, and so many more. So to get your 10% savings, make sure you go to trylootcrate.com forward slash paratruth. Again, that's trylootcrate.com forward slash paratruth and enter bridge 10 to get 10% savings on any new subscription. A creature emerges from his slumber, only to be told he is a griffin with the name Achilles. 
The twisted mind of Dr. York Hampshire believed he could keep such a creature in a lab without consequences. However, bigger secrets are being revealed. What is this mad scientist doing with creatures and humans? The legendary creatures project The Griffin by Justin Conciliere, available now at Amazon.com. Get your copy today before the lights get turned off on this project. Hey, this is Eric, and you're about to listen to the audio trailer of my short film, The Revealed, which is now streaming worldwide. Check it out at ericscareback.com, parachutesradio.com, and YouTube. The links are provided in the description of this episode. Start from the beginning. When did it all begin? Hello? Hello, kids. At Old Grove Church. This has led many scholars to question whether the God that we serve is truly omnipotent, omniscient, spiritual, or simply a New Age extraterrestrial. While others are led to question, are we truly alone in the universe? So, these dreams... They're different this time around. Welcome back to Parachute Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we had just got off the line with Steve Hummel, the owner of the Archive of the Afterlife, the National Museum of the Paranormal. This is a pretty cool thing, guys. If you're in the area or you're ever up to traveling, you should go check it out. Uh, you know, it's, it's a different type of history. We have history museums all over the country and all over the world. Uh, but it's rare that you actually come across a paranormal right. history museum, if you will. Um, so yeah, if you're into that kind of thing, I mean, there you go. If any, anything you heard on this show tonight interests you. If we ever get a chance, I would definitely like to go check it out and do a live show there. That would be pretty interesting. Um, so some of your final thoughts on what we were talking about, like I, I think we've kind of briefly touched on it, but do you feel that objects can be haunted, whether that's human spirits or demonic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I don't know if it's, I mean, I don't think they could be possessed. It doesn't make sense that an inanimate object, object would be possessed by anything. It just doesn't really make, you can't do anything, you know, it's <laughs> like you're trapping yourself in a bottle basically. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that's possible. Being attached to something, though, maybe so. Uh, I mean, it'd be no different than being in a building that's haunted, that just spirits or dark entities that might, you know, uh, that are attached to it for one reason or another. Um, if a lot of bad history happened, such as many of the hospitals that we see uh, in the par- from paranormal investigations, uh, um, prisons, things of the like, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes a lot of bad mojo is there bad things happen, a lot of killing, a lot of just uh, disease and this and that, things that negative entities tend to feed off of. Uh, and so, yeah, I definitely think if there's an object like such in which there's some type of negativity to it, you know, in some way, somehow, then, yeah, a spirit can, I think, attach itself to it. Uh, but I think it's just as easy for them to leave that object if they so choose to. 
Yeah, I would agree with you there, and and I think that if it is human spirits that are attaching themselves to objects, that they're probably trying to hold on to something of their previous life to to. Honestly, I don't know where I was going with that because of why you would hold on to something from your previous life when you should pass on, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But there are people that are vain that, like, get buried with their car. And in a sense, that would create an attachment or something like that. But Well, I think it's interesting because the Bible says, you know, not to store up treasures for yourself here on Earth. Because when you die, the things in here will disappear or and your treasure will only be in heaven. Now, assuming you don't enter heaven and you cross over or, you know, you die and you realize what the outcome of your life is and you try to avoid that, assuming it's possible that right. human spirits, you know, can still exist on our, on this, on our plane and not <clears throat> go to heaven or to hell or wherever. Um, then in that case, I could see them being attached, you know, trying to hold on to something to prevent them from going uh, and crossing over to a realm of the unknown or a realm where they just simply do not want to be. Um, but on the other hand, like you said, you know, people are greedy. They tend to like their money. Maybe maybe that's just what it is. You know, maybe they just want something, which is weird because they still technically cannot have it. They can't actually <laughs> touch it or hold it or do anything with it. Um so yeah, you know, I think that's just more of the reason like why evil entities would attach themselves to something. People see these, this is an easy door, put it that way. Uh, you know, my sister had mentioned a couple of months ago that there was an old camera that she saw in an antique store mm-hmm. and she was gonna buy it and when she picked it up, she got a really bad vibe from it. Uh, some type of negative energy. And I think that some of these spirits, um, they tend to attach themselves to these things knowing that somebody will at some point Come by and pick it up and then boom, open invitation. You know, they're not using a Ouija board. They're not calling upon the spirit. They're not, you know, summoning something or doing this or doing that. They're just simply buying an object. And once the object is in the house, well, there you go. Now you've got a haunting and it's capable of manipulating the situation until you finally give in and allow it into your own life. But right. And Eric was like, bring it on. Why didn't you buy it? <laughs> <laughs> I was. I mean, I was interested in having that piece. I wanted to. I wanted to know. I was curious. But <laughs> so that is the the wrapping up of the archive of the afterlife. Um, but we wanted to do some fun Halloween stuff for you guys. So uh, you know, we love Halloween. You know, we say this every year that if you feel like participating in Halloween, don't be afraid to participate in Halloween. It is a fun time to do stuff. There are some Christians out there that feel that it is bad, but I feel that if you're putting that that vibe onto it, then, yeah, it's going to be a negative thing. So one thing that I wanted to, to talk about is this year we're, my wife and I are actually participating in Halloween, um, I'm going as a plague doctor and she's going as my pet crow. Um, Eric, however, has been having some doubts about going for anything for Halloween. Did you ever decide if you're going to do something or? Yeah, no, I'm not going to dress up. I don't feel like spending the money on something I'm going to use one night. So no, I'm not going to dress up. I will be at my sister's house passing out candy. Uh, and let me say, let me comment on the 
whole Christian and Halloween thing. You know, it, it's true that a lot of Christians <coughs> will avoid Halloween because they consider it a dark, evil day, celebrating the dead. Uh, and in this case, for for the born again Christians, celebrating evil, celebrating the devil and all of his crap. Um, but you know, I, I just want to raise you know a, a thought here and get people to think. And my question is, for those of you Christians who do normally avoid, or maybe have always avoided Halloween, do you think that Jesus Christ, if he were here, would hide away in a house during Halloween? And I am 100% confident that the answer is no. Jesus would be out on the streets. He'd be preaching the gospel. He'd be casting out demons. He'd be healing the sick and, you know, giving life to the poor uh, you know, all that kind. He'd be raising the dead. And it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to go out and do all of that or try to. I mean, obviously, raising the dead is kind of a difficult thing unless <laughs> we're talking about spiritually. Um, but what you can do as a Christian is go out, pass out some candy. And while you're doing so, pass out flyers to your church, you know, pass out Bible verses, pass out Bibles. Uh, you know, it's usually cold on Halloween in most places of, in the country. Uh Make some apple cider, hot apple cider for the kids. You know, as they're going by, treat them, uh, keep them warm, things like that. There is a way to be a Christian out on Halloween, mingling with people who are celebrating Halloween without actually celebrating Halloween. It's a dark day. Jesus says, be a light in the dark. What better day than Halloween night? So just food for thought. I just hope everyone will think about that and maybe do something. It'd be great. You know, there's still time. Get your church to rally together and do a, uh, uh, a trunk or treat is what they call it, where Christians from the church, you know, they bring their cars, they put candy in the trunks, oh. kids come around and it's very, you know, it, it's, it's, it's pleasant. I mean, obviously some kids are going to show up in gory costumes and this and that, but that doesn't mean you, ha- you should avoid them. Jesus wouldn't. So, uh, yeah, make it a, an enjoyable time. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a good point. It would be a good time for fellowship as well as just still, <laughs> still indulging in, in the, the holiday without actually indulging in the holiday. I, I think that's a good point. Um, I, I do think that this is the first year that you have not dressed up for Halloween though. Uh, no, I, I don't think I dressed up last year. Oh. I, yeah, I remember I, the Batman costume. That was two years. Yeah, that was two years ago. That okay. was two years ago. Last year, I just sat on my couch by myself with a Butterfinger, <laughs> uh, a Milky Way, some kind of fruity candy. Candy, I'm sure. Uh, apple cider. Oh, hard apple cider. You know, <laughs> one of those. Um, and <laughs> a Blu-ray copy of Evil Dead. So it's a good night. The newer, the myself. old. The old. I haven't even seen the new. I'm not I did. To. It wasn't that great. So <laughs> if I if I I tell everybody this right now, do not see the new Evil Dead. I yeah. I'm a huge fan of Bruce Campbell. So <laughs> so if you and that's one thing too. I mean, one thing you can do for Halloween is even if you don't want to go outside, sit at home. If you don't like scary movies, there's cute Halloween movies out there. Um, I'm sure there's there would be people that would argue with me saying even those are not good for you, but um, there's stuff to to enjoy without being 
in in the uh, holiday if you don't want to be in the holiday. So I I do encourage everybody to uh, at least do something pleasant on Halloween, whether that's like Eric suggested, giving out hot cider, participating with your church for a trunk or treat, uh, you know, or just sitting at home and enjoying the the holiday with your loved ones and watching some some cutesy Halloween movies with some candy, some popcorn, uh, popcorn balls, whatever you want to make. Um, and, and just be safe. I mean, for those of you guys out there that are adults that go out on Halloween, um, just, just be safe. No drinking and driving it, on top of new year's Eve. Uh, Halloween is one of those ones where people just want to be stupid and get into trouble. Mm-hmm. So, right. I, I do encourage you guys to be safe. Uh, any final thoughts from you? Uh, no, not really. Uh, you know, just have a happy Halloween. There it is. Happy Halloween, everybody. All right, make sure you like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. All right, folks, so make sure you like, share, subscribe everywhere that we are at. Uh, if you listen on Paranormal UK Radio Network, Fringe Radio Network, or TMV Cafe, you can find us there. Uh, most of those uh, websites have like a... a uh, archive uh, system so that you can listen to past shows. So check all of those sites out as well, which is paranormaluknetwork.com, fringeradionetwork.com, tmvcafe.com, as well as radioandpodcast.com. And make sure you check out paratruthradio.com. We do have the new T-shirts up there. And what better thing to wear on Halloween than a Paratruth Radio T-shirt? Plenty of people have said that they love the the cartoon eric and justin so makes me kind of happy because we were really impressed with it so uh and uh definitely check that out as well while you're there and you can even shoot us an email like i said last week and just tell us what you think uh on on an episode if you want to hear a certain guest or a certain topic that we haven't touched on yet or you want us to reiterate on a certain topic Check all of that out right there at paratruthradio.com. So until next week, folks, where you'll find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. And happy Halloween. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food. 
whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.